On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Taylor, and Taylor was raised by a family of abusers. It's a story of generational trauma, common enemies, enmeshment, and life after death. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. This is a podcast that gives a voice to survivors of toxic relationships. I am Brandon Chadwick, but my friends call me Chad, and thanks for tuning into this episode. So what is a narcissist, you may ask? Well, for the purposes of this podcast, we refer to a narcissist as anyone who has displayed a pattern of behavior that shows a limited capacity to appreciate others' perspectives. It is that simple. Now, if you have not been to our website recently, please do go there. If you want to be part of our show, go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. Press that button, fill out the form, and away we will go from there. And also on our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com, we now have a community support button at the top. But where does that take you? That takes you to our very own safe social network. Our community members are on there posting on our forums. We have integrated Zoom support meetings on Wednesdays and Saturdays. We have prompt workbooks for our episodes for you to dig deeper and gain more clarity into your relationships and life. You can create and run your own events from meditations to closure ceremonies, even to single mom groups if you want. Our community members are all amazing and they are here to support you when needed and to cheer you on when you need it. You can come looking for some support but I guarantee you, you will make a ton of new friends in the process. So please join our community today at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, press the community support group button. Another way to get support is by going to DomesticShelters.org. So if you or someone you know are experiencing abuse, you are not alone. DomesticShelters.org offers an extensive library of articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you're experiencing, and you can connect with local resources as well, and you can find ways to heal and move forward. So please do go to domesticshelters.org to access this free resource. Now, when it comes to our show and our support services, we pay for everything right now on a, on a shoestring budget, and that's, that's being generous. So if you think our podcast is valuable, please consider sponsoring an episode of our show so we can help grow our support services and, and reach a larger audience. Sponsoring an episode of this podcast is a way to make a really big difference, and you'll be helping thousands of survivors in our community. So this week's episode has been sponsored by Barbie Lynn, and I'm giving Barbie Lynn a huge shout out today. Thank you so much for sponsoring our show. You are overly generous. So a big, big thank you. You're going to save so many lives in the process. So big thank you to Barbie Lynn. And if you want to sponsor a future episode, email us at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com. And we will uh, go from there. And I think there's what else do we have going on here? Um, well, we're on TikTok now, everyone. 
we're on we're on TikTok. I, I joined the TikTok community, so you can kind of see little bits behind the scenes. I do a lot of top ten lists or top five list type stuff on there. It's my first time on uh, using really TikTok. It's uh, not what I thought it was. Uh, there's a lot of mean people <laughs> on TikTok, and I'm experiencing that firsthand. It's uh, it's. I thought it was a much friendlier place, uh, but it's not that friendly in some instances. So that was a little shocking, but still come follow us on TikTok and uh, we're there. You can find us at Narcissist Apocalypse. And what else do I have here? I know I have something else that I can't remember off the top of my head what it is. So I probably won't get there. Anyway, when it comes to this episode today with Taylor, this is a really interesting story. There's a lot of moving parts to this story and somehow Taylor was able to make a hundred percent sense of everything that was going on. There's so much. You have to listen to the end of this episode because so many things happen. She went through so much. She lived a life by the time she was nine years old and it starts off in one country, ends up in Canada and uh, everyone she encountered was pretty much terrible. And the fact that she's standing and where she is and she's doing so well is just a testament to her and I want to thank her for being on the show. And really, when I say make it to the end, I mean, we have some revelations at the end, which are really interesting. So uh, a really big thank you to Taylor. And I also want to give a trigger warning. There's talk of sexual abuse in here. There's talk of suicide in here. And there is uh, talk of physical abuse in here. So there's a trigger warning there. And... I know this episode sounds very heavy, and it is in, in, in a lot of ways, but, you know, a testament to, uh, again, to uh, Taylor for the way she told her story, and she did a wonderful job, and I want to thank her once again. So now, without further ado, here is my episode with Taylor. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. With me today, I have Taylor. How are you? I'm as good as I can be. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, thank you for being here. And today we are going to talk about generational narcissism, trauma, addiction, and covert narcissism, because it took you a very long time to figure out what was actually going on with your household, with some of your family members. So thank you so much for being here with me today, Taylor. And now... Without further ado, the floor is now yours. Thank you. Um, where do I start? Um, I want to thank you for having me on the show. I've been watching, well, listening to your podcast for a few months now. And honestly, just listening to people's stories and how they deal and, and maneuver these murky waters of like narcissistic abuse has been incredibly helpful. And whether that's family stories, you know, relationship stories, it's just been, it's been kind of a blessing to have these kinds of stories come out now. When I was growing up, there was nothing like this. And I, I, I hear a lot of people say this, but it's so true. There was nothing to really go to and read or, or connect with. And so I think part of the reason we're all kind of, it's all coming out of the woodwork now is because people my age or older are finally getting these resources and platforms to, to share and discuss. And it's been very helpful for like, at least for me, for my mental health, for sure. Um, 
So let me maybe start at the beginning. I um, I grew up in Poland just as it was kind of coming out of, um, I guess it's it's communist streak. Um, but for me, my story is mostly from since I can remember and then into my late 30s. So I had... I'm, 32, I don't know if I can say that on the show, but I'm 32 and I literally a year ago was the first time I moved out of my, my mother's household, so to speak. So I've been, I've been pretty deep in, in the trenches of, of narcissistic abuse and, um, but it, it's been something I, I grew up with and until I was like 25, just about to exit university is when I realized that my childhood wasn't happy and I thought for like 25 years of my life that I was, that I was, and that, you know, this is what everybody dealt with. And these were sorts of family issues that everyone had. And the more, you know, I spent in school as an adult and the more friends I had, the more I realized that that's actually not true. And I started doing the work on myself when I became suicidal and that's when I, when it clicked for me that something wasn't adding up. So I'm going to go back to the beginning because this is like pretty much all of my childhood. So I was born in Poland. Um, my mother married my father uh, before I was born. And when I was one year old, she moved with him to Canada to, quote unquote, get a better life. Uh, better jobs and then the deal that I was told by everyone was that as soon as they settled in and kind of got comfortable and found jobs I would be brought over to Canada to live with them um, in the meantime I was living with my uncle my great-grandma and my grandmother and those were the people who raised me until I was like nine my grandmother I realized this later uh, was a narcissist herself, a very covert narcissist. And my mom and her brother were twins. And textbook, she was the, the my, my, my uncle was the golden child and my mom was the scapegoat. Because that's something that I was told by her since I was like nine. And what essentially ended up happening was my uncle was incredibly alcoholic. Um, my grandmother was in and out, uh, she worked, so she was, um, you know, out of the house for a lot of the time, but my uncle didn't work. And I was told that this was partially due to communism and the, the, the kind of mood of the country, but he was also like an, a raging alcoholic. And my grand grandma was always very sick and my grandma took care of her and essentially blamed her life being shitty on the fact that she had to take care of her mother. Um, in and out of the picture is my grandfather, who was my grandma's second husband, who was also an alcoholic. Um, and essentially what I grew up in is my, for my grandmother, I could do no wrong. I was essentially the golden child kind of thing. But um, I wasn't like, taken care of necessarily so I would spend a lot of time by myself even at like as long as I can remember it was just me you know puttering around a very large flat by myself and then my 
raging alcoholic uncle would come in and out and like tell me that I was shit and that I should go to Canada to live with my mom because I'm ruining his life. And I vividly remember there was this one time where I was sitting, I, I, I used to think I was an empath. And then I realized that it was actually me just being super freaked out of people's emotions around me. And that had to do, I think, for me at least, at the very beginning, like, I, I could, when I could hear my uncle coming through the front door, no matter what room in the house, I would disappear. Or I would try to figure out what he wanted in his, like, drunken rage to calm him down. And so I remember vividly there was a time where I was sitting on a couch, and he was angry for some reason, and he picked this couch up with me on it. And my grandma, I think, came in the room and started screaming at him. And she was never scared of him, but she was also never around to really protect me. And she knew that he was a raging alcoholic who basically kind of, like said he loved me. But really, most of the time when he was around, he would spend um, telling me that I should go to Canada to live with my mom because I'm draining them financially. And I was like... But, like, not in nice terms. Like, he would sit me on his lap and he'd be like, you need to get the fuck out of here. And I was, like, eight, seven, maybe. So, not a, altogether a great, you know, thing to be told at the age of seven. So, so you're seven or eight years old. Uh, I guess you haven't seen your mother in how many years? Uh, I didn't remember my mother. She left when I was one. So, okay, so you have pretty much, you have... You have zero bond with your mother. None. I have or, zero or bond dad. with my okay. mother. Yeah. And my father's out of the picture too. Now, as I was growing up, and these are the only memories I have of my childhood. Um, my grandma would tell me that my father was horrible and that my mother was horrible and uh, that my father was slightly better than my mom. So because he, I later learned, was paying her money to keep me away from my mother. Um, so they, so my father is my, my, my biological father was very abusive from what I'm told and I've seen, and I'm told by everyone that he was a pedophile, not just by my mom. Like there were people out of the picture who weren't family members who also confirmed this and my mom divorced him maybe when I was like three, four and moved, and he started freaking out. So he always also wanted a boy, which I was like, no one cared that I like was a girl. Like basically was told that like, it was kind of shit that I was a girl because he wanted a boy to like help raise his arm or whatever. And so I only remember him coming to Poland when I was a child twice. And one of those times he grabbed my grandmother by the hair and started pulling her up and down the stairs. And I was terrified of this man. Like, he was large, he was very loud, he was aggressive. He wasn't an alcoholic, like my uncle, but that was almost scarier. And my grandmother, after that incident, kind of pretended like it didn't happen. Like, she still talked to him on the phone, and, like, because he was paying some of her bills. But I didn't realize that that was to specifically make sure I never meet my mother. Like he was, he, and he was in cahoots with my grandma about this, my grandma being my mom's mom. Um, so that was like a big part of my childhood, being terrified of, of my dad coming to take me, which was something they constantly threatened me with whenever I was like not behaving well. Um, and being told that I needed to leave the country because I was shit. 
and essentially my grandpa was kind of like my grandfather was in the picture but he was also an alcoholic so whenever he came he like lived in france and would come and stay with us sometimes and he was just constantly drunk and the only the only person that i can say i loved when i was a child was my grand grandma who was very sick had enough of reverence shit but she couldn't really move like she couldn't walk down the stairs she was kind of bedridden and she would tell me stories about her youth and she would be like a calming presence in that cra- in that crazy so, um, so just to clarify your mom and dad moved to canada for a better life when you were 1 years old you're raised yeah. by your grandmother uh, kind of your uncle, not really. He's just there, and his grandfather. That's kind of sometimes there. Your grandmother is nice. However, your grandmother is being given money by your dad. Once <laughs> the relationship with your mom and dad in Canada goes awry, and your dad does not want you to go to your mom. Your grandmother also hates your mom, so she's in cahoots here, even though she's being nice to you. Your uncle is uh, terrible to you. You're getting a mixed message of being nice from the grandmother and being treated terribly by him. Uh, And you're really here being kept captive. You have no idea. Uh, You live in fear when you see your uh, dad, when he does show up and you're being threatened uh, as well. So a big fear is being instilled in you uh, at this moment there you have some sort of freedom uh you know because you're not being taken care of in some ways but that's a lot of neglect that's going on Mm -hmm. and you're also being uh treated poorly so much by your uncle that i assume that the feelings of not being good enough and things like that will are forming of how you feel about yourself (laughs) oh yes yeah definitely 10 out of 10 you nailed that and but it, it gets better though because um I've, because I've been left alone so long, I developed this early on need to read because Poland didn't really have like TVs and things for kids to do alone. So I started kind of being a bookworm and living in my own little, you know, mental world. And um, that stuck with me throughout my life. Like I'm a writer by trade now. I love it. But it was a coping mechanism and an escape for me for sure since, I, since ever I could remember for my, my grandma, it was a point of pride because I was a reader at an age where kids really weren't really that into reading like novels and writing. But for me, it was more just like I had nothing else to do. I could crawl up walls where I could sit there and read a book. Um, and another thing that my grandma used to do was she, she would tell me that I was really sick. And I mean, I was a sickly kid. Like apparently I was, I was really sick once, almost died. And from that moment on... Whenever I would get sick, she would pull me from school. I remember distinctly being told I was sick, but I was at home for two months, and my school got worried. Like, the Polish school that, like, no one really cares about the kids that much was like, hey, are you, like, okay? Like, you haven't been around in two months. And I was, like, fine at home. And then I realized that my grandma was actually drugging me with um, these, like, I guess natural drops that make you super sleepy and sedate. But for like a seven year old, that's going to work if you give it, you know what I mean? And that's something actually my mom pointed out when I was, um, when I came here, she was like, yo, grandma was drugging you to keep you sedated because she couldn't keep up with like a seven or eight or nine year old. 
because she was like old and i'm like oh shit like that definitely did happen because i remember the, the the labels on the things i just i they tasted nice so i was like this is great like i was like a pretty obese child which i feel like also happened because it was easier to control something that was like you know like obese children don't run around and, and get away from you as easily as something that's you know a kid that's skinny and I really, really think that my grandma was trying to make me sick and, like, fat, for lack of a better word, to have a better reign on me. Because she wasn't going, like, I went back a few years ago and I'm like, okay, where we went as a child is not as far as she made it out to be. Like, it's just down the street, but she would make this whole day of it. And, like, I'm like, you just couldn't take care of a kid. So instead, she chose to basically kind of, like, sedate me for, for nine years to, to control me better. So when I say that my grandma hated my mom, I mean, like, when my mom would call to talk to me when I was a kid in Poland, my grandma would whisper and tell me to tell her that I hated her because my mom at this point had found another guy who is my sister's stepfather who ended up being not really my stepfather. Like, thank God he never adopted me, but like we lived together. And so she had my sister. And the second my mom had my sister, my grandma flipped the switch and was like, you have to tell your mom you hate her. You never want to see her again. Um, and I did. I was like, I didn't know who my mom was, but I fully did. And, like, my grandma convinced me that my mom hated me and didn't love me, didn't want me. And she, oh, she went and started this whole family without you. And when I talk about generational trauma, it's narcissism. But there's also, and I don't know if this is just my people, but there's this thing where kids don't get to be kids. I was always told what the financial situation of the household was when I was with my grandma or when I was here. When there was, when someone was having relationship issues or alcoholic issues, people, like adults would have a conversation with kids about that. And not to like explain what like the world is, to be like that bitch over there did this and this. And like, it was just, you, there was no being a child. You know what I mean? I always knew that we were broke. We didn't have money. I grew up very poor. Um, I was always told the situation uh, financial situation, people's like relationship situations. There was no like, there was no sanctity of like, Hey, the kid probably doesn't need to know exactly how much money we have and that we're not going to have this or this or this, or that like this person is like a bitch. And Polish, Polish is also a language. It's very cuspies, but I was told that by adults, but I'm not sure because I know other people that don't speak like this. So I think it's just my family. Um, anyway, so my grandma really hated my mom, um, and I didn't get to really be a kid. So when I, when I met adults, they were like, oh, you're like, so like mature for your age. And that I now realize is basically code for, yeah, you didn't get to do any of the things normal children did. So you had to grow up really quickly. And I would like help my grandma with chores around the house and do stuff out of boredom and also necessity because like my grandma was poor and working and like, I felt bad. So I did all these things. And, and another thing that was kind of going on there, you know, because you are young, your grandmother is uh, everything about she's saying about your mom as far as, you know, she started another family, everything, you should hate her. It's There's kernels of truth in all that. So, of course, you're going to believe it. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I never – and then I later learned also that my mom would send me gifts and stuff that my grandma would hide or sell that I would never get. And I was told your mom doesn't love you. 
or your mom doesn't care. And like, look, she speaks to you like once or twice a year or whatever. But all the things that she did to kind of show me that she loved me were being hidden or sold for money by either my grandma or my uncle. And that I also learned when I got here. Um, but onto how I got here, because that in itself is a, is a fabulous tale. So when I was nine, I was told that I was going to go on vacation with my grandma to meet my mom. And we were going to come here for two months and I was going to meet everyone, her new husband or not really husband, but like the guy she's living with and, and my sister. And I was told they have a dog. And, um, my grandma was like, oh, your mom got a dog and he's black and fuzzy, just like ours. And I feel that's weird, but whatever. And, but they bought us the tickets, like they set it all up and we, you know, I, I told my friends, Hey, I'm going to be gone for the, for the summer. And like, I'll see you guys later. When I get here, like day two, um, my mom's boyfriend I'm going to call him husband because they've been together for so long now that it's like stupid. But my, my mom's husband, basically my stepdad tells my grandma and me that I'm not leaving and that it was all a ruse to get me here because she refused to send me like normal. And they had to do this whole spy situation thing because my father wanted to promise my mom that I, he, she would never meet me. So they were basically, my grandma and my dad were working to make sure that I wouldn't. But at some point, my grandma got tricked. And basically, the second I landed in Canada, I had all the paperwork ready. And they were like, yeah, you're never going back. My grandma lost her shit. Everyone lost her shit. And um, basically, was the, it was just adults screaming around the fact that I, that I was never leaving. Meanwhile, my three-year-old sister that I literally just met is super excited to have me. But I've been a, you know, a, a single child for like nine years. So for me, this is all like pretty fucking new. Uh, I'm like, okay, well, now I have a sister and a whole new family and I'm not leaving uh, in a country where I don't speak the language and don't know anyone. So yeah, so I was basically just informed that this was going to be my life now and like better get used to it because in like two months you're starting a new school and a whole new life. Um, over the vacation time, uh, my mother found out that she had a they they had like a car accident before i got here and it wasn't anything serious but she did find out that she had like two tumors on her head so we all with my grandma went to the hospital to get it scanned and when that happened my grandma which we got like a room in the apartment to like sleep in because they didn't have like extra rooms my grandma would pray every night that my mom would die and we shared a bed, so I had to listen to this. And sometimes she would be like, pray with me. Mind you, my family's not religious, like at all. I've been to church with my grandma like a handful of times. We're, we didn't believe in that kind of stuff, even though Poland is a pretty religious country. But like my grandma just like prays whenever she wants something. But like there's no like belief or anything like there. Anyway, so she's like praying to God every evening that my mom gets like brain cancer and dies and I'm there in bed with her and she sometimes like would try to get me to go along and I would mumble something as I was like half asleep, but it wasn't like I wanted my mom to die. So I wasn't doing that. But I guess one of these nights, my mom snuck into the bedroom and heard her and 
ever since then, I've been kind of blamed for her doing that. Like, I was part of that conversation at all. Like, uh, my mom would bring this up all the time, that my grandma would, like, pray for her to die, and I was there, and I was also doing it. And I'm like, bro, I'm, like, nine. I was, like, asleep when she was doing this. Like, I had nothing to do with her being this shitty to you. Um, but it was something that would come up multiple times. And actually, the finances over us being shipped here would also be brought up by my stepfather. He would be like, I paid so much money for you to come here and you're ungrateful and blah, 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 blah. Because my grandma apparently lost, quote unquote, her passport a bunch of times before I came. But like, I didn't know any of this was happening. And basically, I was told that like, it was my responsibility to do the things I will tell you that I did because I owed them for coming here, for making my life better, essentially. Because in my country, I suppose, moving, like, moving away from the shithole that Poland was, um, was kind of seen as, like, you're, we're saving you for bringing you to Canada. Because now you have a better country to live in, and you've got, like, life, like, a better life. It wasn't a better life, but that's what I was told, and told that I owed them for bringing me here. So my grandma eventually had to leave. Um, when her, you know, when the summer was done, but, um, my mom asked me if I wanted to go. I, I knew I didn't really have a choice, but I figured if this was my way out of being in a house where I'm constantly terrified by my drunk uncle and left alone for hours on end, I'll take it. And also I, I don't know. I was like, this is my mom. Uh, uh, maybe this would be a better life. I was like, yeah, sure. I want to stay. But I was, like, also nine. So, like, who do you... You know what I mean? It was just... Going back on it now, if I saw myself as a kid, I'm like, you can't ask a child those questions. You know what I mean? Like, not really. I didn't really have a choice. Like, they had it all ready and all the paperwork and stuff. So my grandma had to leave. Um, I know that they had a conversation about what she did with my father because my mom found out about that. And... I don't know how that went down. I wasn't there when it had happened, but my mom would tell me things like she would tell me that her dad did stuff to her as a kid and my grandma wouldn't do anything. Whether or not that's the truth, I can't confirm because nothing that comes out of my mom's mouth, I ever believe, but I'm sure there was something there. And um, so my grandma finally left and then my father starts coming into the picture because he finally, re I guess my grandma must have told him that I was now living in Canada. So he started getting interested because he hated the fact that my mom was like, um, that my mom finally got me here. And also, I think for my mom and my stepdad, it was like a point of rubbing his nose in the fact that like he said that would never happen, but it did. Like I was here now. So they took themselves to court over me. Um and so your dad's it, in Toronto at the same time? Yeah, my dad also lived in Toronto. Okay. Um, and the second he found out that I was here, he started fighting my mom for for, um, for rights to see me. And that's when my mom decided it was a good time to tell me that he was a pedophile. And I was like, 10, maybe now, maybe nine still. I don't remember. I was a child. And, yeah, both both of um, my mom and my stepdad would be like, yeah, he's, he's fucking creepy. He's a pedophile. Like, we're going to make sure you're not like around him your father's like crazy and i kind of agreed with them because i saw him drag my grandma up and down the stairs so like i'm like yeah definitely don't want any of that but um 
they still had to go to court and do all of that. And it ended up being that the second they mentioned that, like, he needed to pay alimony to my mom, I guess, or whatever you call it, he backed off completely because my dad was, like, wealthy but pretty cheap. And that was also something that they thought would be prudent to tell me. They were like, yep, your dad, like, the second he heard that he needed to pay for anything to do with you, he, like, you know, he 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 basically left. He was a cool, like, uh, none of that, thank you. Like, I think he maybe paid my mom, like, a meager sum every... It was going to be bigger if he had to, like, have me or whatever. That some Whatever thing they pulled, basically, the story was that he didn't want to have anything to do with me the second he heard that he had to, like, actually spend money. And so, basically, I had to, like, be grateful that they decided to, like, take me in and take care of me. So, at this point, you've left Poland and now you're in Toronto. Your mom is, I guess, seen as a bit of a savior. You, in a way, you're mm-hmm. in this place. It, it seems happier. You have a sister there. Uh, your dad tries to kind of come in and weasel his way who you already have a belief about and your mom protects you from him. Yeah. So at this point, do you, are, are, do you trust your mom, uh, you know, here that like, she's actually going to be someone that's going to protect you and be involved in your life? Yes. I mean, I thought my mom was the next best thing since sliced bread. I was like, wow, like my grandma's kind of shit. And like my gra- my mom made sure to convince me that my grandma was, was not, a great person and i mean to be fair she's got she had like the proof she had letters from my grandma to my dad saying like this bitch will never meet you like her don't worry like i got you like i they they showed me these things plus she she kind of was like yo she's been drugging you and i'm like yeah that makes sense like you know what i mean but on the flip of that they would also make fun of me for being fat and basically blame me for my grandma like praying that my mom would die and stuff and it was like this weird blend of incredibly toxic shit that I would be told, but also being told, like, you should be grateful to be here. And to be fair, I was enmeshed with my mom for years, and it gets a little worse. Um, But by the age of nine, you have lived a life. Yeah, (laughs) it's been a story. Um, And when I got here, you know, like, I never had a sister. I was an only kid. My younger sister, who I dearly love, like, and I've loved her, you know, from the beginning, but, like, you you also, I just got dropped a three-year-old who's very, like, super excited to have me. She's very, you know, like, full of energy. I'm, like, this fat kid who, like, can't run. It was a shock for sure. On top of a culture shock, um, you know, basically, I now had to share everything and have this whole other um, light kind of going on. And also, during the summer that my grandma was here, she kind of abused my little sister, um, in front of me, like she wouldn't give her food or she would lock her up in a room when she was crying. And I didn't say anything because to be honest, I didn't know what to say. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is a person who I don't know. Um, she's, I'm told she's my baby sister and I have to love her, but this is my grandma who's calling like, she's an adult. You know what I mean? So I, I was blamed for that too, mind you. Like, because I, I told my mom what my grandma did when my grandma left. And my mom was like, well, you were a part of that. Like, why would you let her, like, lock her up in a room when she was crying? And I'm like, bro, I don't know what to tell you. Like, sorry for doing that. But I was like, like, it was, it didn't occur to me that I was, like, a kid and that I wasn't to be blamed for that. I was, like, super apologetic and sad for years um, that this happened. 
And then finally, when I was an adult, I'm like, hold up the hell. I would never blame a nine-year-old for something an adult did. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, I basically got, but aside from that, I got dropped. I got dumped in a new school, told that I had to learn English. But my mom didn't, she, she's been here for five years. My mom still doesn't speak English well enough, or she says that she doesn't to help. So essentially what ended up happening is I had to learn the language by myself with no help from the adults and, and or any of the courses in school mind you because it's I, I i wasn't like helped with with schoolwork or anything like that um but i was also the person who would end up doing everything for the family so the second i learned any language english i was I was basically, I was on the, the person who everyone would call when something went wrong with the computer or bills or the internet. And I was still a kid. I'm talking like this is as soon as I learned like any flick of English. Um, but essentially, uh, yeah, I would be expected to do the homework well, even though I didn't speak the language and no one could help me. I didn't get like tutors because they didn't have the money for that. Um, and I learned it. I mean, I learned it by reading. And I think part of the reason I love English and the language is because I had to, like, it was kind of my saving grace. I was severely bullied in elementary because I was fat and I didn't speak the language. And I was a kind of a weird kid who didn't really have like a ton of friends. Uh, so in elementary, I didn't have any friends. It was basically kind of like severely bullied. She had, my mom had to pull me out of one um, elementary school and put me into another, which ended up being even worse. And I remember, um, when I was like in grade seven, I, th these kids would, when I say they would bully me, they would like hit me and things. And my mom kind of knew this, but like, what was she going to do? I still needed to finish school. And I was kind of like, whatever, like I'll get through it. And that was kind of my motto for my entire life. It was like, I will have to deal with this and I will have to get through it. But I remember there was this one time I was helping a teacher with something and she left like a wad of cash on her desk and me being a really I don't know why I did this but this is like the most shameful thing I've had I have ever done as like a human I took that money because I was constantly told that we were broke and that there was no money for anything and I don't know why I was a kid I'm gonna blame it on being a stupid kid but I took that money and I didn't do anything with it I just hit it because I was like I'm gonna give this to my mom for Christmas obviously this came out because I was like in grade seven, and I guess I talked to someone or said something, and they all figured out what I did. I re the money was returned, but this would never, this would be something my mom would never forgive me for, not forgive me for, but she would, because she didn't, I didn't get punished, because she thought it was adorable that I was trying to, like, see for the family for Christmas, but it would be constantly something she would remind me that I did, um, and... The, to the point where, like, the teacher had forgiven me. Like, I apologized to her. I explained the situation. I think that school knew that I, that there was something going on. But, yeah, that was, like, a whole thing. And th I, I'll get back to the whole uh, stealing situation because this can't, comes up later when I'm older. But um, I learned that also my stepfather was a severe alcoholic. And he was – he's a narcissist. Um, but he's also – an alcoholic and he he was like a photographer and he had a good job but he would like drunk drive and basically get like completely drunk at work 
and then come home and take it out on us. And it was never incredibly like, we didn't get really beaten, you know, but there were always fights that broke out that were physical. And he was very loud and very aggressive and very tall and very scary. And he would remind us that he was like a boxing champ when he was like a kid. He, he's also Polish. He also grew up in Poland and moved here with his family and his family, like, basically put him in jail for being abusive and then when he got out he like blamed everything on like his toxic wife and like this isn't really his story to speak but um we were basically all hating on his other family and um but he was inflicting the same kind of stuff on us and it wasn't so bad when i got here but it got progressively worse and worse as i got older so sorry i'm just going to interject here for one second yeah a a big thing that goes on here with all of these adults is that they create a common enemy for you to hate yeah and you know so you they get you kind of on their side we don't like that person so there are these moments i'm going to assume where you feel like you're part of the team yeah yeah definitely okay i definitely so like so even in the moments where you're being abused, you're still part of the team because it's us against those people over there. Yes, okay. I would say. But it, the, his family wasn't really a whole lot of our life. Like, they, they didn't want anything to do with him, and he didn't want to do anything with them. So it was something that was brought up in, once in a while, but it wasn't, it wasn't really something I thought about a lot. So oh, yeah, but I'm just kind of saying it in the sense of you know growing up with your grandmother, it was you, oh, yeah. it was you against your you guys against your mom, uh, yeah. you know, and then your uh, dad is there. It's you know against your mom as well, and now yeah. you're in Canada, and it's you guys against your grandma, uh, mm-hmm. you guys against your dad, you guys against this guy's family. There's always yeah. an enemy. Yeah, there is always an enemy, and it's. I'm realizing that a lot of this is like heavy manipulation. Um, but you know, like everything is easy to see in like in hindsight, right? Um, but actually, what I really ended up having a problem with is when I got to to Canada, I was basically, for lack of a better word, treated like a house elf. Um, a so what? I was. A house elf, <laughs> like you know, from here. <laughs> oh, a house elf. Okay, you're like, like Do- you're like Do- you're Dobby. I, I'm totally Dobby. And... Is that he said name Dobby? Dobby. Yeah, um, but I basically got told that, and I remember this distinctly. My mom and her and, and my stepdad being like, "You're you're a nine you're you're a nine year old old cow, so you're going to you're like an adult now, basically," and you're going to help around the house. And so basically I had to babysit my sister when they were gone. I had to clean the house. I had to not clean the house. I had to scrub this house whenever my mom and um, uh, the stepdad were gone. And I was severely punished when it wasn't up to their satisfaction. So basically um, color coding like sweaters and I'm talking like they wouldn't like necessarily beat me, but I would be told to like me on the floor for hours as punishment for like not washing the dishes properly or not like folding the clothing properly or told that I couldn't go to sleep until that happened. Mind you, I was in school and learning a language I didn't speak, severely bullied. And then when I got home, I didn't have time to like 
do a shit ton of my homework or like learn things. I had to like clean and scrub the toilets and take care of my baby sister when they were tired. And my mom was constantly sick and tired. And essentially I kind of, that was my life. And that, and I realized that I was a depressed kid. Like I didn't see the light at the t- end of the tunnel. I thought this was going to be my life forever. Like I basically, my entire childhood was doing stuff for my sister or walking her to school and then walking to my school and then coming home and then doing chores and chores and chores. And then my mom decided that I was not doing well in school because I wasn't doing incredibly well. Like I wasn't a bad student, but I didn't speak the language and no one could help me with anything. And even math, like they couldn't help me because I don't think my mom was like, she said that she did university, but if you didn't do university, you can help your kid with basic math. But essentially, um, for like two, three years of my life, she tried to get me to memorize the, the, the like a multiplication table, but not like understand it, just memorize it. And so my, all of my free time when I wasn't doing homework or scrubbing or playing with my sister games that were like incredibly under what I should be doing as a kid. Um, I would be told to sit and, and read the, these like sheets of multiplication over and over and over again. And whenever we went to the park or did anything, it was just that like, I couldn't go and play or make friends. I had to sit by my mom while my sister played and do these multiplication tables. Or she would talk to me about like how shitty my dad is or whatever. That was like my life as a child. So whenever I got to play, it was like to play with my sister because my mom was busy and she was bothering her. And to this was so bad to the point where I was like, I would ask my baby sister to like play with me because I couldn't stand just cleaning or doing chores or being told to sit there and stare at like a piece of paper with like multiplications on it. And that was my life to like pretty much all of elementary. Um, it was, it, I was basically, um, yeah, I was, I did everything she didn't feel like doing. Um, and I was told that if I did it wrong, I couldn't go to sleep. Or I would be told that I had to, like, knee for hours. And at one point, and she would just lie there on the couch watching TV while I, like, sat and stared at a wall, essentially. Or need and stared at a wall. Um, but one really big thing that I actually recently remembered is when I first moved here, I obviously missed my grandma when she left. And a big thing that my stepdad and my mom did was they were like, if you don't stop complaining about this, we're going to send you to your dad if you miss him so much. And you can go live with him. And... I just would cry at night in my bed. And I think they found out one day that I was like upset about that. Like they found me crying or whatever. And they basically, this, and I remember this distinctly now, but I blocked it up for so long. It was like winter, it was night. And they were like, well, get dressed. And like, you can go fuck off to your dad. And I was like, mind you, I was like, this was when I was like eight, eight, nine, ten, And I like got dressed and walked out onto the street and started walking and I was like, I don't know where the fuck I'm going. I don't know where my dad lives. Like I, they kind of pointed into the direction of the city and they were like, he's over there. But like, I got to outside and I was walking through the snow crying. Cause I was like, well, I guess I'm going to go and like, see what happens. And then my mom like ran out after me finally. And then she was like, why did you go? Like, I love you. And then she was crying and I was like crying and it was such a weird looking back on it now it was such a toxic basically i couldn't be upset that i lost my grandma who like 
was shitty, but, like, also took care of me for nine years of my life. So, like, allow me to cry, maybe. I don't know. It was so well, weird. Well, you're getting and- a huge mixed message here where you're told to, you know, go and, and, and live with your dad and you're going and you're crying and everything's going on. And then your mom comes in to rescue you from the situation she created and is now crying and saying she loves you, which is very confusing for a child because you have no idea, you know, your whole compass is destroyed. I have no compass. You have no compass. I have no compass. And so, you know, I, I basically, I was her. My mom and her friends would constantly make fun of me for being fat even though I, I like I, at this age, I would say it's child abuse to have your kid, you know, be so obese. Cause I was like, not chubby cute. I was like, my grandma made sure that I like couldn't move, but what, like looking back at even her friends, I'm like, who do you hang out with that adults are okay making fun of a 10 year old to their face? Like it just, all of this to me now is crazy, but it was totally a thing that happened. And yeah, I was basically their like little, my mom basically shipped me in to be her little cleaning slave and to take care. Like I was free home, you know, I took care of my sister. Um, I did all the, the housework. I was constantly punished for it. I basically had no friends and couldn't have any. Yeah. yeah so uh, w- when you got to, let's say high school, what was your life like? Okay. So when I got a little older, um, my mom would, make me take my sister to school before I could go to mine. But because we were poor, I had to walk there. So I had to walk my sister to her elementary school and then walk to my high school, which is like an hour and a half away walking. So I I had to take my sister to like Bathurst and then walk all the way back to my high school every morning and make sure I wasn't late. And then back home. And I was punished if I was late because she had like a timer, I guess, on it. So if I was late for whatever reason, she would get pissed at me for being late. But would never give me like money for like food, mind you, or or the streetcar. Like I had to walk for years because I didn't have a job because she didn't allow me to have a job either. So it was like I didn't really get a vote. Like if I want to go to school, I had to like I had to book it. You know what I mean? Um, and that was another thing. Like I never had, um, I never had graduations. Uh, I was never told that I did something well. Like the only graduation I ever had was in elementary. And I remember this distinctly, like my stepdad didn't care about that. So he didn't come. And my mom made this. And this was something that I'm realizing is like textbook narcissist before every big thing that happens, they make, they do a huge fight. Or they try to ruin it somehow. And I remember my mom put me in this tight black dress for my grade eight graduation. And she went with me. And when I got there, uh, mind you, I, we were crying and screaming because I guess she she told me that I couldn't go or whatever. And I didn't really even want to at that point because I didn't have any friends there. There was nothing to celebrate. I was just finished that one chapter of hell. Like I was happy to leave that behind. But she put me in this tight black Morticia dress. And I liked that because I was like a weird kid. But then I got to the school and all these girls were wearing like poofy pink and like yellow gowns. And they're in like a black dress. And in retrospect, I think that was pretty cool. But I know she didn't do it 
because I liked those things. She did it because she wanted me to look stupid. Joke was on her because I thought it was the coolest kid there. But aside from that, like, that's what happened. And then we kind of walked home and then that was it. And that was the last time I had a graduation. I didn't do my high school graduation because, A, we didn't have the money to, like, spend on a dress and stuff. Um, And I kind of, to be honest, knew that it was going to be a shit show. And I knew at that young age that, like, it was probably better to just ignore it. And that was kind of the running theme of, like, when I went to college and when I went to university, like, I, my last day of university, I just walked out of my last class and that was it. And I was like, I'm not doing a graduation. There's no point. Um, And this was also, like, a big part of my character is, like, I hate my birthdays. I hate things that, like, normal people would celebrate. To me, they're, like, the least amount of fuss possible, please, because it just makes me anxious to be honest and i realized that wasn't healthy later on but there was just no point trying to get my family excited about things i did because they never were um so that that was a definitely a, you know that happened um but actually when i was in high school my mom made me steal which was also something that wasn't incredibly um i didn't realize how screwed up that was until i got older but basically she would make me she would, like, write, maybe not write me, but give me, like, a list of things every day that she wanted from, like, a shopper's drug mart. And then I would go and, like, get her those things. And it was mostly, like, creams and makeup and expensive things. Um, so, basically, and she would never, like, be incredibly angry if I didn't get those things for her. But she would be disappointed. And that, to me, was, like, the worst. And this was, like, when I was in high first years of high school. Um, and I finally did... I, after three years, it ended up being, like, stupidly easy for me at one point because I had so much experience stealing. And I didn't like it. Like, I didn't ever get anything myself. It was just stuff that she asked me to get her. Um, and finally, someone, like, caught me. Um, I was 16, I think. And she came in, obviously, crying and saying that, like, I'm a good kid and I, she doesn't know where this came from and whatever. I wasn't punished for this because I think deep down she knew how, like, like, she knew that it was, I was doing this stuff for her. And they let me go, and they were like, don't do this again, because, like, you're 16 now. Like, this is stupid. And after that happened, I started to realize that, like, if I, like, I can't, I can't do shit like that, because I didn't want a criminal record. Like, I want a good job, and, like, I want a normal life. And so whenever she would ask me to steal, I would say no. And then she'd get angry. <laughs> But I would be like, no, like, this is, like, I'm past 16 now. They're not going to slap me on the wrist. They're going to put me in jail. <laughs> like, I'm not doing it because you want, like, eye cream, man. Like, figure it out or buy it. Like, I'm not doing it. I think part of the things that when I started pushing back is when I really got alienated. Um, and I'll go a little bit more into that. But essentially, um, yeah, I, I stopped stealing and um, she didn't like that. I think part of the reason was that she she liked pretending that I was, like, a really good kid who, like, had some issues. And she liked holding the fact that, like, I stole stuff over my head. And she would be like, well, I never made you do that. But, like, it was like, well, then don't give me a list of things you want. You know what I mean? From sh- And tell me to go. Um, so that was that was pretty much my high school. And I was also put into the military, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about, like, what I think saved me necessarily from, from, from you know, being a complete mess. But I was put into the Army and then the Navy cadet system. 
A, because it was free, and two, because I was told I was fat and I needed to lose weight. So that happened. Um, when I started, this was, I, I actually got um, put into the system before I finished elementary, and um, that went through the majority of my high school. But essentially what happened was, I'll back up a little bit, actually, um, just to just to finish, round off um, my sister's stepfather. So there was one thing that happened when I was younger. We would go to these little um, camping sites, I guess, or whatever, so to speak. And one, they, they would do this thing where they would have a CSN in the middle of the day, even though no one really wanted to go to bed. But we would put, go in this tent and, like, sleep. And they would do this every few weekends. We would go to camping. And I remember specifically this one time we, we were napping. It was, like, middle of the day. And my sister's father started feeling me up. And it was, like, very uncomfortable. Well, obviously, this was uncomfortable. But, like, he was, like, feeling me up in places that you definitely, you know, it, it just it wasn't okay. When we woke up, the first thing I did was I told my mom. And thank God that I did. Because she lost her shit on him. And he was all like, oh, this, I thought you were sleeping next to me. Like, I didn't realize it was her. And obviously looking back at it now, it was a bunch of bullshit. Like, in no way was he like not aware that I wasn't an adult. I was like a small kid. Um, But it never happened again after that. He never touched me again. Um, But they did have, he did have this weird thing with he, like if I was in the shower or the bathroom, there was no boundaries in this household. So he would just like walk in like it wasn't a big deal. Or he would make it his business to tell me when I needed to take a shower and like wouldn't leave until I got into the bathtub. It was like really weird shit like that. Um, but he never touched me again after that one time when I told my mom. And then that was also the time my mom decided to tell me that her dad did that to her and she would never let him do that to me. This is again when I'm like, 10, 11. This isn't like when I'm like a little bit older and can figure out my life. Um, so there was a little bit of that along with um, with the severe alcoholism that, you know, we were all kind of subjected to. Um, but fast forward a little bit, um, you know, they put me into the military to quote unquote get me to lose some weight. And I think partially that is what saved me, the structure and the fact that I could find friends and that I had my own few hours in the week to to develop a personality and it was a strict place and there were drugs and the kids were from rough neighborhoods but like still it was it was a place where I could kind of grow and and just be myself um so I do have to give a shout out to that like the system really did help me deal become stable enough mentally where I could deal with the with the shit at home that I don't think otherwise I would have I don't think I would have been able to deal with all the stuff that was coming for sure um yeah it, it definitely would have made my life harder but um but I was I was put into this program because it was free and maybe to kind of give a better fa- family dynamic my baby sister is the golden child. She's a sweetheart. She's not a narcissist. She's like now my best friend. But when we were kids, she was put into all these classes. And mind you, they screwed with her mentally too because this poor kid at like five up was basically had her whole life scheduled around 
these classes that her dad would put her in. And they were like serious Olympic level like classes, even for kids. This was a lot. She was like Olympic swimming, ballet, um, gymnastics, music, um, river dance. It was like every day of the week was something else. And I was told that I was too old to go to these classes. So I basically had to drive around to take my sister to all these classes after school that I was told I was too old to be in. But I was like nine, ten again. This was like, it was just, I know that they didn't like, I, I knew innately that my mom and, and, and my stepdad didn't like me. And I think that was, even though I, I considered her kind of savior, I, like, I could feel that they didn't like me. And I think at one point they realized, how weird it looks people started asking the questions like oh why is this one in all these classes and this one isn't and at one point I think the excuse that I was too old to be put into certain classes just got like old and like obviously this wasn't the case like they just didn't want to spend the money on me and that was fine he wasn't my dad I didn't expect him to ever do that but I think it got to the point where they were embarrassed to say that those things to other people because I was always there with them and I would just sit there and watch my sister do all these classes that they put me into the cadet program um and I loved it for you know for years I I I was good at it I you know I got fit or whatever it is that they wanted me to be but like it actually helped with the structure and, and the the getting tough part was important I think in my growing up because I I see a lot of that in myself even now like Outside of people who I love, I don't let people screw with me. And I think that was, that really helped me, um, you know, become the person that I am. It was like, it was ingrained in you to not let people walk all over you and to have a sense of who you are. Um, so I spent basically all of my childhood up to, I think, 19 doing that. But the abuse at home didn't end. It got worse. Um, my sister was starting to grow up and she could do things that I couldn't, obviously, like she could have friends, she could go out, she can do things. Um, and she had her classes, so she was always busy and, and, ha and having her own life. Meanwhile, my life kind of circulated around, you know, helping her with homework, doing stuff for my sister and then doing stuff at home. Um, and this time also, my mom started, um, cheating on the stepdad and I would always be dragged to help my mom with her job so my mom would like clean apartments and, and and buildings and stuff and she would say that she was like a child psychologist but um because of like having me and then moving here her life was ruined and her university degree was useless so here she like basically didn't speak any English didn't take classes and she blamed my dad for not taking classes in English and she would just like do cleaning jobs but she would force me to go with her and help her and then when I was a kid and older too like maybe till I was like 17 I would do this with her but every time she would get fired she would blame me for getting for for getting fired I don't know why it's not like I was you know doing half of her job for her I was just like kind of there helping her like mop floors or whatever but it was always my fault um, and so when I got a little bit older, she started cheating on the stepdad with one of the guys that she was like cleaning his apartment. Um, and she would take me with her because 
that was her excuse to get out of the house. Like we were going for a walk or we were walking the dog or we were going to go clean. And she would basically take me with her to this man's house. And then they would go upstairs and do things. And I was just sitting there waiting for them to kind of be done. And this became, this saved my life. And I will get into a little bit, I think, later. But this essentially was the thing that ended up saving my life. Because my mom cheating and doing all of this is what finally made me see who she was. And that those glasses that I had for her started falling off. Um, those pink, pink tinted glasses. But at one point, like, I would... This this man would start hitting on me, and I was, like, 15 maybe at the time, 14, 15, 16, like, because this happened for years. He would, like, I would go walk into a room, and he'd be there naked. And my mom would be, like, giggling in a closet because she, like, ran. But he would, like, cover himself up. Or he would say inappropriate things to me, and I would tell her, and she would, like, brush it off, kind of. And while that was happening for, I want to say, like, two, three years, my stepfather, I think, figured out that something was going on. So he got really abusive to both her and me. He would, like, rip her clothes and throw hot things at her. Or And then I was basically stuck cradling my crying mom in a corner while he raged at her and then tried to calm him down. And mind you, I was terrified of this man. This man, like, my uncle compared to him was nothing. My uncle is, like, a short dude now. I realize that, like, you know, when you're a kid, you see adults as, like, these giant, like, monsters maybe when they're when they're mad but this man was actually like terrified he's still terrifying to be honest but when i was a kid this was like next level so so here's the moment where you really you know if you weren't taking care of so many things before now you're taking care of your mom emotionally and parentification uh, starts really taking hold right here where I guess you feel responsible for your mom's emotions? Oh, absolutely. I, I felt responsible for everyone's emotions. Okay. I felt responsible to make sure my sister wasn't dragged into these fights. I felt responsible for him because I didn't want him to be angry at my mom. I, resp- I felt responsible for my mom because she was this poor woman who was just trying to make her life better. Mind you, she wasn't, but... um. But I, but, was, I, but you know what I say that right here. But even when she was asking you to steal without asking you to steal, that's a lot of guilt that's put on you as oh, well for you to do those things for her. So you, you, for a long time, it's been seeping into you that you are responsible for your mom's uh, emotional needs, uh, yeah. monetary needs, uh, oh, all needs. Financial abuse will come into this even yeah. be- like later. But yes, absolutely. And so this went on for years where, like, I had to go bring her new boy toy things, like food, because she would make him food. And um, so it was like the, she led this double life where on my, my, my younger sister, mind you, had no idea until this year when I told her. She had no clue this was going on. But it was essentially I was being targeted and abused by my stepfather because he knew I knew something, but I didn't say anything to him. He, he would ask me for it, but he, he never got that from me. And then I was basically stuck in a household where two adults were, like, doing, you know, whatever it is two adults do. And I kind of had to be there. Also taking care of his younger daughter because she he, he had her sometimes for the weekend. So I had to, like, babysit his kid while they were, like, 
doing things. Finally, it came down to a boil, and this dude was like, I'm going to talk to the stepfather. And, like, you guys can come live with me until you find your footing. And my mom, I think, didn't want that. I think she thought that this guy was going to take care of her and us financially like the stepfather was. And the second he made it clear that he would, like, help her, but he expected her to, like, fend for herself, she dropped him like it was hot. She didn't drop him when I told her that he did creepy things to me. She dropped him when she realized that she wasn't going to get what she wanted from him. And almost immediately found a second guy who was her ex-friend from her past with my dad, who basically same thing happened, except this guy lived further. So now I spent even more time traveling with him and her to his, like, little shack on this lake shore where they basically did the same thing. She would, like, go into his room and they would fool around and I would sit there trying to figure out how was how where I would have the time to finish my homework when I got home because I couldn't take anything with me because she didn't want me to clue Peter, like, uh, my stepfather and that, like, something was going on and I w- we were going somewhere, you know? So, basically, I had to put my life on hold almost every other night while she did these things with these men. Um, and I basically got the flack of it because I think my stepfather knew that there was something going on and he would, like, kind of hit me, but not necessarily in a way where I would go to school and someone would notice. But there was a lot of very violent, rageful throwing of things and screaming, and he was constantly very drunk and finally lost his job because of it. And it got even worse when he did because then he was home all the time. And it was... But for me, on the flip of that, this is when I started losing respect for my mom. And I think the second I started realizing that my mother wasn't the person she said she was and I didn't have those rose-tinted glasses, I stopped taking some of the shit she would put she would put on me and it became less about guilting me into doing things and more about forcing me into doing things because of that because now she had to fight with me or take away my things um to get me to do those same same things so she for example you know she she wouldn't want me having friends over um she like I wasn't allowed to even in high school like to to have any I wasn't allowed to go anywhere because she needed me to go do her things with her so basically my whole life um was just i was there to basically do her things for her you know what i mean and when the age of internet came along um i couldn't go to bed until she finished chatting in the chat rooms with her like new boyfriends that she found but sometimes because she didn't speak english she would make me she would basically sit there with me and have me translate what she wanted to say to these men I never met into English for her. And also sit in the hallway and read and pay attention to make sure the stepdad wasn't coming so she wouldn't get caught. And that was pretty much my entire high school experience. It was just trying to do homework in the few glimpses of free time I had and basically juggle her love life and the abuse I, we got from the stepfather and also, like, all these new things that she was doing um, on the Internet. Where she, like, actually at one point pretended to be 
I remember this distinctly. She pretended to be some ballerina from New York. And she got this one poor dude from Poland so in love with her that he wanted to move to New York for her and be with her. And she had to, like, ghost him, essentially, because she wasn't a ballerina in New York. But this was before the time of cell phones. So we had to stand on the street while she fed, like, a payphone, rain or high water. It was, like, in the middle of dead winter. I was, like, three, for hours. I'm talking, like, three, four hours at a time. She would stand on this payphone and talk to this man every other day. And I would sit there freezing, reading a book or something, because she needed me to be there with her. Um, it was, uh, looking back at this now, I still don't understand why I, like, I know I was a kid and I allowed all these things to happen, but it just honestly blows my mind that, like, you would do this to a kid. You know what I mean? It absolutely blows my mind. Um, so when I got into college, I wanted to go to university after high school, but I knew I wasn't ready. Like, I, I, I. I knew that if I ended up going, it would be a disaster and I wouldn't make it. So I ended up going to college instead, which was, I I was still treated like a child when I needed to be a child. So whenever she wanted to say no to me about something like having friends over or going out or even getting a job, because I didn't get a job until I was 24, it would be, it would be a situation where she's like, you're too young. You No, like, I'm your mother, and there was no reason or excuse. It was just no, and that was it. But whenever she needed anything done, it was like, well, you're an old cow, and, like, you need to do this for me. So basically picked and chose whenever it suited her, whether or not I was a child, specifically her child, or I was an adult. Um, I basically had to figure out my life, um, you know, without any income. And I think part of why she specifically didn't let me get a job is because she knew that it would give me some sort of autonomy um and that that wasn't so much a part of my college even though I didn't have a job but I started uh, you know I had to to take out OSAP loans like I had no choice in the meantime my real father comes out of the woodwork like right as I'm about to enter college he has leukemia and he's dying And now he wants to make amends. And my mother decided that it was a really good idea for her to let me talk to him now because he had property in Poland um, that she wanted to get a piece of. So he had, he, he wanted a boy. He hated me. I wasn't like his cup of tea when it came to little girls, I was told. And essentially my, um, my mom was like, you know what? You're an adult now. You can you can go and talk to him. Maybe he'll leave you some of that money. And so for like a year, I had to go and deal with my dying father who um, basically just wanted to talk shit about my mom. That's all he wanted out of this, you know, last year of his life is just to talk shit about my mom. And but he was also like in denial that he was dying. So he would talk about, like, how he would get back together with my mom and we could, like, leave my stepfather behind. And none of that came into fruition. But he did end up, um, she ended up lying to him about me going to nursing school, which never happened. And I never told him that I did. Like, I was going into English because that's what I loved doing. But she ended up telling him that I went into nursing. And 
that's when he left me some like half of his will along with some other sister that I had by another mom. And to this day, my mom is convinced that I would not have gotten that without her. And that's the story that I'm told. Like basically being like, well, this this wouldn't have happened. He wouldn't have left you anything if I didn't lie to him and tell him all these things. But I don't know about that. It was just anyway, he, he ended up dying that year. Um, and I remember when we went to his funeral, she was laughing the entire time. And I was too, because it was crazy because we were front row and my mom's laughing. So I'm laughing at her, but also with her. It was just such a shit show. I don't even know how to explain it. Um, but I was, this was the first time that I, that a family member that was very close to me had died and I felt relief and, to be honest, I was happy that he was out of my life forever. He was a very strange, very creepy kind of man, kind of man, and I like there was no remorse. All I remembered was the stuff that I remembered him as a kid doing, and the stuff that he would say to me, which was super inappropriate and creepy, and like very like like when people told me that he liked little girls, I believed them because the stuff he would say to me was just not okay, but. It was just like almost a relief. Um, I went through college two years. Um, I made made some really great friends, and I got into um, the University of Toronto, which is like the one of the better schools, I suppose. And when I told my mom that I got into this elite school, her response was basically like nothing had happened. And this was like the biggest thing that ever happened to me. Like, and I did this all myself. And that's, I think, why it was so important to me is because I never got help. I never got, you know, like all things considered, it was a miracle I made it out of high school um, without dropping out. And I, I did this all myself, but it was never something that I could take credit for. She would always say that it was either I got in on like a mistake or it was something that she did because she would like, force me to let her help me with art projects at school when I was like in elementary and that somehow translated into me being a good student but like I didn't need her help but that's she wanted to play so she would do that for me sometimes and she would basically say that like her forcing me for years to sit there during every single free time that I had to like learn the multiplication table that's what got me to university it wasn't all the hard work I did. It wasn't all the, you know, all the hours spent studying. It was, it was, it was that. Um, and mind you, like, I, looking back at it now, I don't know how I did it. Like, I didn't even have a bed to sleep in. I literally would sleep in a room with my mom and my bed was like a mattress on the floor. My sister had her own room where she had a big bed and like, it was, she had her own like life going on. But for me, it was like, I, at the beginning I thought I was helping my mom because she was like you know she needed my help with stuff and stuff but looking back again it was like I was on a mattress on the floor in our room with my mom and then finally my my younger sister was like why the fuck is she sleeping on this floor like there's a giant bed like let's share this room and that's where they were like oh okay we guess you know what I mean so there was I had no privacy growing up there was I had no no possessions of my own to be honest because my mom also convinced me that I was like incredibly ugly and I didn't wear a skirt until I was 25 years old like I just thought that that was like 
I was so, like, deformed that this would be, like, people would just, like, make fun of me. And that it was, like, I didn't have normal, like, grown-up clothes, even in college. And my mother wouldn't let me. And I let her not let me. Like, I was in college at 22, and I was still letting her, like, pick out my clothes. I, did, I wasn't letting her, but it was, like, if I didn't, if I continued fighting with her, I'd miss my classes. You know what I mean? And... I had to get to them. I didn't have, like, money to, like, take a taxi or whatever. I had to do this all with, like, no resources. So it was, like, I would either have... And she was bigger than me and stronger than me. And, like, she had no problem, like, hitting. So it was, like, if I continued to fight her on things, um, it would just be... It would be a disservice to myself because I would end up missing classes and stuff. And this was in high school, too. My mother would put me in the... Like, she would specifically pull out menswear for me to wear to school whenever we didn't have like uniform days i don't know why she said she did it because she wanted me to like learn a lesson but i don't know what that lesson was all it did was make kids like make fun of me um and it continued until i could basically buy my own clothes and told her to like get the fuck off my back she wouldn't even let me dress the way i wanted um and actually, when I was younger, both my stepfather and her would, like, cut my hair. But they would cut it very badly. And, like, like basically, they wouldn't take me to, like, a hair salon. Like, as punishment, they would they would cut my hair. Like, if I didn't clean the house properly or do something properly, they would, like, that was their... Or if I talked back, oh, my God, God forbid, if I did, like, something that was being done to me, they would, um, they would basically take a pair of scissors and just, like, go at, have fun at my hair. And then I was, like bullied obviously and like a laughing stock of school but like that didn't seem to matter like my sister got none of that treatment of course she was because she was pretty and she was like you know she was tall and they they obviously saw that she like she was going to all these classes and they had these whole dreams for her so she had a whole other life going on um while this was happening to me but finally when I got my like last year of college I finally got a cell phone and mind you this was also another thing like my mom would take my stuff and and destroy it so my mom would take if I bought myself something um it would magically be either scratched or ripped or broken and like it was stuff that I sometimes wouldn't even wear yet and I know my sister wouldn't do that and it was like and I've caught her a few times like basically trying to either steal my stuff and pretend it was stolen or ruin my stuff I don't know why. And then would come in and swoop and be like, let me help you fix that. Or let me help you sew that that up. And it was like this like weird fucked mentality that I realized as I was getting older that she was doing this stuff to me. Um, that like wasn't normal. And she started doing this when I finally got a job and could get my own things finally. Before then, I was just basically dressed like a clown whenever she could get me you know, um, whenever I, I needed to be dressed for anything that wasn't a uniform. And part of the reason I wanted to go to an all-girls school is because I knew that with a uniform, I could maybe make some friends. Um, so, yeah. So, basically, I didn't get a job until I finally got a cell phone. And, like, before that, when I would apply to jobs, it would just magically never come through. And it doesn't matter how small, they just wouldn't come through. And finally, someone called me back, and I was at school on my cell, and, like, I got a pretty darn good job. Um, 
I ended up being a manager there and I ended up going into management and then later on into the advertising industry for, for English. But, um, it was just, and she would cover it up as saying like, I'm helping you get through university by not letting you get a job. But it was really just all her trying to control me and trying to, um, you know, keep me basically as part of herself in a really messed up way as long as she could. Um, now, when I went into university, my father used to work at the university. So I was technically supposed to get some sort of discount off the tuition because it's a huge tuition. But my mom's solution to this was, no, still go on and take out OSAP. And she would take that money. And financial abuse was also a big part of it. My mom, like, literally, when I was a kid in cadets and we had summer um, programs, we would get paid for those programs. So if I went away for six weeks, we would get paid for them. And that was so cool as a kid that you could get paid. But the thing is, when I came home at the end of the summer, they basically just, like, took my check. And that was money that I owed them for the things that they did for me. Um and I remember distinctly, there was this one summer I came home. I was so tired. It was like a seven-week intense, like, course. It was, like, drill. It was, like, because this was cadets, but it was, like, this was cadets before there were laws against child abuse. So it was, like, pretty intense. Like, shit would definitely not slide now that we had to deal with. But it was amazing and it was fun. And But I came home exhausted. And they took my money. And then they basically had seven loads of laundry waiting in these giant garbage bags in the living room that they wanted me to do as soon as I got home. And that was like my welcome back after seven weeks of being gone. And I'll never forget this. This was when I was like a little bit younger, but I'll never forget this. Cause I was just like in the laundry crying and these like old women that would go there, like to like do their laundry would be like telling me how, like what a wonderful daughter my mom has that like she would do all this for her. And I didn't get a choice. It was just, I came home and they were like, well, here's the laundry. Like, good luck. Like, let me know when you're done. And the financial abuse continued and got worse when I was in university because essentially I didn't want to take out OSAP loans, but I ended up with $70,000 of OSAP loans because my mom wanted that money to play with. And I was still so enmeshed with her and trying to kind of please her. And um, also in that time, she ended up going on disability because she got two slip discs. And basically, my mom hasn't worked a day in her life since she was like 40, maybe 30 something. She, she, and, and my mom being sick is a huge part of her, who she is. It's, it's most of who she is. There's, she's always in pain. She's always moaning and groaning. She hasn't literally worked a day in her life since she got that disability. And to be fair, she has two slip discs, but I've seen people with stuff like that go to therapy get a cure and and get better and for my mom moving to Canada and being able to go on disability and get those social benefits was like that was her goal in life it wasn't to give us a better life it was to raise us to pay for everything that she ever wanted and needed. And that's generational too. My grandma also took care of her great grandmother. And it's a very cultural thing in Poland to like take care of the older generations. And I think my mom just wanted to make sure that she would get that when she was older. But I essentially ended up with like $70,000 of student loans that I didn't want or need 
because she forced me to take out those loans to help her pay for, um, you know, life because I didn't have a job. But I didn't have a job because she didn't let me have a job. So it was this constant, it was essentially this like circle of toxic, like you can't, you have to do this because you don't do this for me, but you don't do this for me because I'm not letting you, but I'm doing it for your own good. Um, if that makes sense. And so I ended up leaving the university system. I graduated and got like decent jobs after, but it was like, it was, I, I'm, I'm still like, I'm, I don't know when I'm going to finish paying for this, if ever. It's like a constant, you know, weight on me. And I know a lot of people have it, like, way worse. But I knew that I didn't need to do that to myself. And she forced me to. And then as soon as I, you know, I actually got better jobs, it was this constant need for her to have things. So she would complain that she didn't have clothing or she wanted food or whatever she wanted, she just expected me to get her. And it was to the point where I was paying more for her things monthly than we were paying for rent. And I was digging myself deeper and deeper into this pit of, of debt that I couldn't crawl out of because it was like this constant nagging and begging and talking at some point wears you down. You know what I mean? And this, this was go this went on until I moved out of the house so her her financial abuse was human, and it was to at one point me and my sister both that she would do this to, but I was definitely the person she did it to more like if she wanted something to eat that she didn't have, and she's super picky and she just won't eat anything like and that was my thing. I was like, why don't we just budget better like let's get things on sale like let's let's make meals based on things we can get that are on sale so we can save money and like that wasn't a question. It was like she wanted the fancy stuff when she wanted it, and there was no no. And you're probably wondering why the hell I stayed there so long. And when I was 25 and I was in third year of university, I had, I think, my worst year ever. I, not uh, Academically, I was doing well, but mentally I was in a pit of despair. Um, I the, the, was the one time I tried to commit suicide and um, it was, I don't, the the joke is that I don't even remember the day. I just remember that it was cold outside. And I remember that my sister, my mom, and my stepdad were going somewhere. And they wanted me to come along. But I was like, no, I have an exam. I have to study. And they ended up leaving. And I popped a bunch of my mom's pills. And I was like, and, and then I sat on the floor for a few hours feeling like shit. I threw up. I went to bed and I was like, this is it. Like, and I woke up the next day and everything was fine and no one knew about it. And that morning I was like, I need to figure my life out. I don't know what the fuck is happening. I don't know what is like, why am I this way? And that's when I started to do the work. Like after that, like, I guess unsuccessful attempt I was like, no, I need to be better. Like, I need to figure out what it is that's making me feel this way. And I started working through, and I tripped and fell into figuring out that it was actually my mom that was the the, the, the central toxic person in my life. And then my stepfather on top of that, because they kind of work as a team. So my mom would start to 
whine and complain about things. And the second you would say something to her to like stop or push back, the stepfather would come in screaming, raging and throwing things or trying to beat you. And that was, and they still work like this as a team. They will like, but it's weird because he also abuses her and she like will scream and cry and, and threaten to like kick him out. But, and that's never happened because she needs him. And I think they feed off each other, that, like, double narcissist. And mind you, my my stepfather is a person who thinks basically, like, the second he needs something, if you're not there, he will throw a rage. And he will throw a rage like you will, like he will break things and, and like, call you names and spit on you. And it, it was just, it's hard to describe the level of um, physical abuse because they didn't, like, take a fist and punch you but he did i remember this distinctly he took a toy truck it was like one of those heavy toy trucks from like a sandbox or something and he chucked it at my face and i ended up with a black eye and that was the first time ever that i had like a visible sign of abuse on me um like my mom would take a belt to me sometimes for no reason and i remember her smiling while she did it and i thought that was so weird but i just thought that was like normal like kids being like hit or or you know belted or um well the truck throwing you know that obviously I knew that wasn't normal but it just didn't hit me until that moment because I was older I was like 20 something and I was like I am too fucking old for this like how dare you like I'm an adult and the only reason I stayed all these years was because my younger sister who I'm and who my mom mind you tried really hard to ruin my relationship with her um she would pit us against each other she would make me she would find her diary and she would read it. She would lie to her about me and lie to me about her. And try, And she still tries to do that. But at some point when she was like a kid in high school, she came home drunk. And she really did. She was scared that my mom would do something. And I was like, and I obviously like had her back. I was there for her. And I told my mom that something happened. And I like basically like to care for that night. And that was for her, at least she told me later, the like night that she realized that she actually had a sister. And I'm like, girl, I'm here because literally I'm here in this shithole because I want you to grow up not being abused. Cause I realized that the second I would leave, it would all shift over to her and her dad and her already had a really rocky relationship because my sister didn't really like the fact that they treated me this way. And would fight them on it. Like, I would be the more... I would try to keep the peace. So I would take the shit and, like, kind of deal with it coldly and ignore it until it went away. And my sister is more of a firecracker. And her narcissistic dad doesn't like that. Right? Because for me, like, I would calm him down and he would, like, grumble and fuck off. And she would tell him that he was an idiot and that he was behaving like an asshole. And this would cause even bigger fights. But... So, so she went from golden child to a little bit of a scapegoat in that sense for him as well. For my mom, different story. She's the favorite. She will always be. She will do everything for her. She infantilizes her like it's crazy. Like my sister definitely, to the point where my sister is even like, can you just let me do this? Like, this is ridiculous. Like, stop. But she never got the abuse that I got. Um, but when we were a little bit older, like her, maybe 16, 17, 18, we fig- like I told her, I was like, listen, like, these aren't people that are good people and we need to sit together. And like, you know, it's Toronto. It's an expensive city to live in. I wasn't making crazy money when I first started working. I could have moved out and like gotten a roommate, but I was like, I'm going to stick it out 
make sure that she at least has those first, you know, adult youths with like a friend here because my mom and her dad weren't going to be that. And maybe, maybe that's just my way of clinging on a little bit longer. I don't know. But in my head, I was like, I'm literally staying here for you to make sure that we get through this together and that you kind of don't end up being what they are, you know? Um, and so we, we, we basically teamed up and we were like, you know, I moved into her room after, like after literally like halfway through university and, and we, we kind of stuck it out together and dealt basically parented our mom and dealt with her father's rages and we became kind of like a team trying to like juggle that. I still got most of the financial abuse for sure because my sister had like friends and she could go and like she would have, she actually had boyfriends and relationships with us for me. Like I was also figuring out my sexuality because I'm, I'm bi. So like I was attracted to both girls and boys and for my mom that didn't compute. So she would like follow me to university because I finally like ended up having this like girlfriend that I had long distance. But, um, we were together for like two years and that was like my longest relationship up to now. And my mom couldn't handle it. My mom couldn't even handle me having friends that she couldn't text for me. So she would like grab my phone and text like even boys that I was like just interested in. And she needed to be a part of that. You know what I mean? Like she needed to be a, she needed to know what I'm saying or tell me what to say, or she'd take my phone or she would take my stuff. And, um, yeah, it was just, she, she like tried to really take over everything. Even with this woman who I was in a relationship with, she like needed to meet her and talk to her. And this was a woman that like at that point had moved away from Toronto to back to Kuwait. And we were kind of just all like, you know, um, we were doing this on like long distance, but I know that my mom would text things to people when I was asleep or wasn't on my phone that ruined my relationships and friendships. I know that she did that because the woman before we finally ended up breaking up told me that my mom was fucking weird and like involved in a way that wasn't normal. And I knew that. Um, but I also couldn't constantly guard everything I owned a hundred percent of the time, you know? So that went on until basically almost a year ago. Uh, I ended up working this company. I was like, um, I was running a magazine and this was like my first thing. I, I shifted from management, um, of like retail and design into finally more of an English role. And I met my now fiance at that job. Um, we both, it was an incredibly toxic workplace, but, um, but I finally kind of, um, I found my human, so to speak. And my, my partner also had a lot of narcissistic family issues growing up. So we understood each other really well. And after like two years of being friends and then finally dating for a year, we decided to move in together. And um, the first thing that my mom told her was that I had a pill problem. That was like one of the first conversations that my mother had with my now fiance is that she was worried about me because I was abusing drugs and I have never, mind you, I don't, I have this chronic need to be brutally honest with people because the second I lie, even if it's like a white lie, I'm terrified that I'm like my mother. 
so I will not do it. I refuse to. It's probably something you need to work on, but, like, I can come off as really harsh and mean because I just refuse to, to lie. Um, and my sister's the same way. We, we both have this, like, fear of lying because then the second we do that, we think it's, like, we're like her mom now. I don't really drink because I have incredible migraines and... I just, I don't like alcohol because of all the abuse I went through with alcoholics, so I stay away from it. I can't have marijuana because I'm anxious as hell when I do. So, like, I can't really do drugs because no drugs that I've tried have made me feel even remotely or slightly better. And the only real pills I take is either Advil's or sometimes Tylenol's that my mom does give me for migraines. But I'm talking, like, very rarely when they're really bad. But my mom decided that this was the time to tell my fiancé that she's worried that I have a pill problem. My fiance turns to me and she's like, the hell was that? And I'm, and I like confronted my mother and I'm like, you do not get to like, just go. I know you do this, but you do not get to just go behind my back and lie about me to the person that, you know, I'm trying to build a life with. And like, she got so mad at my fiance for telling me the truth about what she lied about, that it was funny. It was literally like a point, like we were laughing about the fact that my mother got mad that my fiance had the balls to tell me that she lied about me to her. And I'm not going to lie. My mom is a really good liar. Like at some point she had my sister convinced I had a drug problem. And I'm like, lady, you're the one who gives me these Tylenols when I have like a migraine once a week. Like it, it was just, and she will like force them on me. She's like, for later, for later, sweetie. It's just, that was the kind of shit she ended up pulling with the only difference being that my now fiance knew the manipulation was coming because I warned her about it and her mother had similar behavior issues. So she could kind of sniff out the weird. And when we finally moved in together last year, I moved really close because I really was feeling incredibly guilty that my sister was being left alone with my mom. Cause I, I never expected to move without her. Like in my head, I made my peace with the fact that I wasn't a people person. I have, like, three friends I don't want anymore. Most of the relationships I've been with, I didn't feel connected to the people, whether they were women or men. It just didn't really... They were nice, but I would never saw myself as someone who would either get married or want, like, a long-term partner. It was just... I made my peace with the fact that I was going to die alone with, a, with like, two dogs and my sister. But, obviously, you know life finally had a better plan for me. That said, I felt this incredible guilt of leaving my baby sister there. Even now she's like 26, she's older, like she's, you know, she's she's an adult. So I was like, okay, I can move out. Like she's not going to like be abused in the same way. But so, but, so I moved really close. I made sure that the apartment, that, that my first apartment like away is like, down the street from her so she can always come here and like have a safe space if she needs it and I know she will because I know who her father is and I now see that my mom abuses her financially just like she did me and just shifted over onto my sister and my sister used to make fun of me saying that I was really bad at money I'm like I'm not bad at money I just can't budget because her mom exists and now she she's getting it and she sees it and she's like this is crazy like I don't know how you did it um but actually, when I moved away last year, I, I, my expectation from my mother was that she wouldn't leave me alone. That she would be constantly enmeshed and involved and want to have a say in everything and would still try to get me to finance her life. 
because that's what I was doing while she was on disability and still is. And the exact opposite happened. She, when I moved, my sister um, is now dating a guy, like a really sweet guy who lives in another country. So she went over there maybe three days after I moved. Her plan was to go and go there for three months. This was just as COVID was like kind of starting. And so I moved here. Basically, my sister left and I didn't see my mom for several months. She didn't want to walk to my new apartment that's like five minutes away because and I realized later it was because I was done. Like she couldn't squeeze anything else out of me, you know, like she didn't have it. I, I couldn't offer her financial because now I have my own like things that I need to do. And like, I could say no. And she couldn't like nag me to death about it. And I think part of the reason is also like my fiance knows shit she pulled. My fiance knows everything about my family. Like I had to be clear with her because I didn't want them lying and manipulating her and, ru- and that ruining the relationship. So I was very upfront and honest about who my family was and what I wanted out of them and how I wanted my relationship to be, which is like very low contact with my mom, no contact with the stepfather. I don't care uh, what happens. I never want to see that man again. And then I obviously want a good relationship with my sister, but it's hard because my mom manipulates her and talks to her um, and and lies about me. But my mother just, I, I, my mother has been in my apartment twice since I've moved. And she just complains that I moved to this, like, pretty condo and basically went on my white ivory tower. And now I think I'm better than everyone. And I don't want to see them because they're poor. And that's the sort of shit she would feed my baby sister when I moved. And my sister knows it's kind of bullshit. But I think she also resents me for leaving for, like, an obviously better, more healthy life. And my mom's rhetoric and all of this is basically saying that like I have a very toxic and messed relationship with my partner because we just we're all together all the time and we don't do anything else and I mean like there, it's COVID I can't leave the house and also I like her as a friend because you should like the person you're with and so yeah I do spend most of my time with her but it's not we're not like an enmeshed couple we're like like she gives me space we listen to each other we have a shit that we need to work on for sure like i'm a very domineering i can be a very dominant person who has you know who who likes things my way but i also will never step on someone's boundaries you know and she will never do that to me and so in my mother's head it doesn't compute like me listening to my partner my partner listening to me and us liking spending time together is for her toxic and crazy and that's the sort of stuff like my sister's worried too that like she's like don't you guys spend too much time together and i'm like no like okay we also live together so like i don't know what you want but it was just she basically the second i left started trying to pull my sister in the direction of me being like the bitch who left them alone with no money like money help even though my sister has a full-time job and my mom does literally get paid by the government and the stepfather lives there even though he doesn't pay for shit all Um, He just, like, spends money on his gadgets and stuff. But it was me that was the villain who left them to go and live my precious little life. Um, And Well, my mom also doesn't, like, my mom to this day will be like, one day you'll find a nice boy. And I'm like, woman, I'm literally about to marry, like, my fiancé. Like, I'm not finding a nice, like, like, boy. Like, I'm not planning on it. Like, at least, you know, like, I'm kind of here because I want to be. Like, I'm not... It was just, it was just constantly, 
constant gaslighting and constant like lying and even now i have to like my sister whenever my mom tells her something she will like check with me because otherwise like we both like nothing that comes out of my mom's mouth is is honest um i i I can't trust anything that my mom says and it's the saddest because i spend a good chunk of my life thinking that she was this wonderful person who was so sick and like just wanted the best for us but then i realized when i got older that she had outs she could have taken us out of that toxic like abusive household but she just didn't want to unless someone was taking care of her so now that you're in therapy and you're low contact with your mother i know you've been working on your boundaries because you have a lot of boundary issues when it comes to relationships and, and you're working on that but when it comes to things like loving yourself do you love yourself I think I started loving myself when, after my suicide attempt, when I started looking into why I was the way that I was and really started looking and and learning about narcissism and learning about the behaviors. That's when I started to realize that I wasn't the problem. And my accomplishments that, at least in my head, were the things that I based kind of my worth on, I suppose. But that's when I started loving myself. When, as an adult, as an adult who went through all of this, and I could see myself as an adult who went through a lot of shit as a kid. And that's the part of me that I could love. Like, the strong adult who came out of this entire shit show, somewhat, somewhat okay adjusted with, obviously, a bunch of things I need to work on. But, like... I can function in society. You know what I mean? Yeah. Can I interrupt you for one second and point yeah. something out? So you use the word suicide attempt. Mm-hmm. You died that day and you, then you were reborn. Oh, I never even thought of that like that. It was, I never it, even... it, it, it was a suicide. You died. And then, Holy new, hell. <laughs> and then, and then a new person sprouted from that. You know, you, oh my God, I never, okay, well now I'm crying. I never even thought about that like that. Because it wasn't something I planned. I just grabbed and I was like, this is it. Like, I'm done. Like, I can't. But you're absolutely right. Like, that was the moment that I was like, I need to turn my life around. Like, I need to figure out who I am. And you did. And I did. And I did. Holy hell. Well, that was a. Uh... That was some uh, interesting, um, you know, definitely interesting. Let me, sorry, I'm going to need a second because I never even thought of it that way. Um, So, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So now that you are reborn from that day, you changed kind of how you saw yourself and are there days where you struggle with that still? And when you do struggle with that, what are the triggers for that? And how do you reverse course to make yourself feel better? Honestly, I struggle with, I think uh, on some level, self-worth every day, like I need to be needed. I'm the fixer. I come in when things need help. 
And sometimes just holding space for people instead of trying to immediately jump into to figure out how to fix things is a struggle for me. Because I feel like if I don't, then I'm not loved. Um, so I can't handle someone who I love being mad at me or, or even annoyed. I, I immediately need to either fix it or, or, or I need them to like forgive me immediately. I just, I can't handle that. And then what ends up happening is like, I essentially, um, explain, actually, this is kind of an interesting one. If I say have a, 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 like a squabble with my partner over something stupid that I say, instead of just saying sorry, I'm obviously I am like, I would be incredibly sorry, but I need, I have this need to be like, this is why I did it. Like, I need to explain it to you. I'm not. It's, I'm not trying to take away from the story. I just need you to understand why, what my brain was processing so that you don't hate me. And that was like one of the most weird things that we had to like have conversations about. Cause she's like, you just need to say sorry and we need to move on. And I'm like, I know, but you need to understand why, like, here's why. So, here's you, like so, you, so you feel like you always need to justify your actions. Absolutely. If, if, if there's something that I did wrong, I need to justify my action, uh, actions right away. Um, and, and that's just, that's just, just like not in relationships. To, is that in regular life as well? Uh, not so much at work because for some reason, it, it, at least in my head, I'm like, okay, if I'm doing this job, then you hired me because I know how to do this. And if I know how to do this and if I mess up, I will apologize. I will own it. But this was my choice based on these reasons. And like, I'm sorry if I screwed up, like I'll take the heat for it. Absolutely. But I don't feel like this, I, I, it's weird because I'm a writer. So if I make a mistake, I will like berate myself for weeks over the dumbest stuff. But um, when it comes to management, I don't have that problem because I, I, I don't, I like to think that I, I can see things from like multiple angles because I overthink everything and then I overthink it again. So I'm actually pretty good at the stuff I do uh, because I end up, foreseeing problems way before they happen and then you know i can i can deal with them so no like in my in my you know in my career not so much just in personal life just in the people that matter and so within the context of that uh, of your relationships justification being good enough as you, without having to be a fixer, without having to people please, are you able at all to not do any of it or just be? Do you accept? Do you accept it. yourself that you are okay with just being a blob on the couch and not doing anything for anyone? Things like that. Uh, yes and no. That's the biggest thing that I'm working on. Just accepting myself and knowing that people aren't going to leave me and hate me for just being myself. Um, like, I'm okay being a blob on the couch if there's someone being a blob on the couch with me. But if someone needs something, then I will be the first person to go and do that thing. And that's something I still have to work on for sure. And do you become resentful sometimes or angry about that when you do do it because you're overextending yourself sometimes when you do need rest? 
sometimes with my sister, yes. With my partner, not so much because we're both so similar that I will go out of my way to do things for her and she goes out of my way to do things for me. And so it works. Okay, that works because the person is reciprocal. Because a lot of the time with your personality type, if someone is not reciprocating and they want, you want them to be the mind reader of being like, please do this for me. I do it for you. But you might say it silently, yeah. just hoping the other person, your partner actually does that. So it actually yeah. works for I'm you. I'm so lucky. I literally am the luckiest person ever because I know that my personality type, like I've been with people that are different and I just, I was like, okay, this is cool, but like, we're not going to be long-term. Like it, it's not that I would end up in these relationships is that I would leave them because I, I feel when it's happening and I just wouldn't let myself go deeper with these people. So I never ended up in a relationship where I was the person who was overextended and, and dreading it because I would just be like, if you, do, if you're not willing to do the same thing that I'm willing to do for you, for me, it's not going to work. And like, we're going to have to part ways. Which I know, I realize is not maybe necessarily healthy, but it kept me a lot, I'm sure, out of a lot of really shitty, you know, situations. Accidentally. And this was the first person that put in as much effort as I put in. And so I, I joke that we kind of found ourselves. We're like two really weird humans who try to read each other's minds and constantly are doing things for each other. But it works because we're both like that. Not the, mind you, we both need like some, some therapy, I'm sure to not do it for other people but it works for us because we're both so similar in that sense so i I got lucky i feel like it's that's like hitting the lottery for me (laughs) just have someone who's exactly like you or very similar um where i don't feel like i'm like constantly overexerting myself you know i feel like my partner's like right there with me and and it's mutual and we like listen to each other and like we actually understand you know all the shit that each of us had to deal with so we can connect on many levels. I'm incredibly lucky to have found a human like that for sure. So before we end off our show today, do you have any words of wisdom or advice for people going through the same thing? Uh, I would say um, it took me years to realize that to remember all the things that happened to me and to realize that, some of the stuff you're going through as a kid isn't normal and it's not your fault and it gets better and it doesn't have to get better right away. It can take years. And I think if I had one takeaways, like be kind to yourself, you know, it's, it's not your fault that you were like, life is such a blend of things that happened to everyone that you'll almost never be able to put your finger on something and be like, this is the the reason I'm like that, you know, but it doesn't mean that you're like, it it doesn't mean that you're horrible. It's just be kind to yourself and be kind to others and run from people who have no compassion. Um, The second you figure out that someone can't have like a, like an inkling of, compassion for your story or your person run from people like that because it's like in my experience the first sign that there's something going on much deeper like if they can't have a conversation with you about not them that would be my number one red flag for like getting the hell out of a situation no matter what that situation is um so i don't know that's not really wisdom but um 
but definitely something I learned, you know, like it takes time and it takes years and there's going to be setbacks and that's all okay. If you finally come out on the other end one day and like the days are brighter and you, and you can see a light at the end of the tunnel, then you're on the right path. Well, Taylor, I want to thank you for being here with me today, sharing your story and how are you feeling? amazing i i honestly i thought i would cry a lot more um just going through these but it it feels cathartic in a way it feels for me like i can't close this book yet because i have so many moving parts in it still but it's it's like a healing soothing process to be able to you know talk with you about this and hopefully if this does go live to share my story and and you know hopefully help maybe or make someone feel a little bit less alone and a little bit less in pain well you did a great job and i know this will so from the bottom of my heart thank you from everyone thank you and from taylor and i we both hope you have a good night